The Secrets of Star Trek is brought to you by the StarQuest Production Network and is made possible by our many generous patrons. If you'd like to support the podcast, please visit sqpn.com slash give. You're listening to The Secrets of Star Trek, where we discuss the hidden layers and deeper meanings found in all the Star Trek TV series, movies, and more. And today we're discussing the latest episode of Star Trek Lower Decks, Something Borrowed, Something Green. I'm Dom Bettinelli, and joining me today on the panel are Father Corey Stika. Hey, Father Corey. How's it going, Dom? Good, thanks. And Jimmy Aiken. Hey, Jimmy. Howdy, Dom. Uh, folks, be sure to stick around to the end. We have more of your wonderful listener feedback that we love getting. And I want to encourage you to share the podcast with your friends to help us grow this community and reach even more Star Trek fans. And I want to tell you about another show on the StarQuest Network I want you to check out called The Secrets of Movies and TV Shows. And that's where we cover everything that doesn't get covered by shows that are specifically about a particular series. And uh, so check that out wherever fine podcasts are found or at sqpn.com slash secrets. So uh, we are discussing the Lower Decks episode, Something Borrowed, Something Green. And Jimmy, could you give us a recap of this one? For this week's season mystery arc ship sighting, we meet a group of Lower Deck Orion wannabe pirates who encounter the mystery ship, try to raid it, and get destroyed. Meanwhile, Captain Freeman figuratively twists Tendi's arm into going to a family wedding back on Orion, which n has never been shown on a Star Trek program before. Mariner and Talyn accompany her. When they get there, they discover that Devana's sister, Erica, has been ritually kidnapped as a bride. And as prime daughter, meaning a trained assassin, it's Devana's duty to rescue her. They eventually track down to Erica and learn that she staged her own bridal kidnapping. In a duel with Devana, it turns out that when Tindy left for Starfleet, her duties as prime daughter fell on her. But Erica is scared that once she's married, people will see that she's not a super awesome trained assassin. However, she kicks Devana's butt, revealing she is a super awesome trained assassin. So Devana hotwires a stolen shuttlecraft and gets to Erica to the church on time. Meanwhile, Super Buds Boimler and Rutherford have an unexpected falling out over who gets to miss their miniature bonsai tree. But when they accidentally both show up for a holodeck playdate dressed as Mark Twain, they find common ground again. They then recommend this strategy to Captain Freeman when she gets into a spat with a Chalnoth captain over who gets to scan a nebula. But when Freeman and the Chalnoth captain dress up as Mark Twain, it doesn't really help. What does help is Boimler and Rutherford's bonsai tree. The Chalnoth captain finds it beautiful, and then he finds it delicious as he eats it and drinks the misting water. He then allows Captain Freeman to scan the nebula. After this, Captain Freeman has forbidden Boimler and Rutherford from dressing up as Mark Twain on the holodeck, so they switch to dressing up as Mozart to settle their disputes. The end. <laughs> so, overall impressions, Father Corey, I'll let you go first. This was this was fun. Of course, it was it was great to get much more of Tendy's backstory, you know, um, you know, because they, they've always been hinting at this, that she's so much more than just this nerdy kind of insecure uh, girl. But there's so much more to her and it, it shows up every once in a while. Now they just kind of lay it all out there. Oh, by the way, yeah, she's the super bad, bad uh, arse assassin <laughs> i was trying to figure a nice way to say that and i kind of got myself in a trap but no it's just she's she's this just very powerful confident person that has that loves science and it was you know it was great to see that and you know jimmy mentioned in the the summary we've we never really seen orion 
And so we get to finally see that we get to uh, uh, see her family um, and things like that. It's, it's, it it was, I really enjoyed it. The, the, the whole Boimler Rutherford bros thing. Yeah, whatever. It was cute, but whatever. Okay. How about you, Jimmy, your (laughs) overall impression? Well, I enjoyed it. It was a fun 20 minutes, but um, I don't think it's Lower Deck's best in terms of creativity uh, or depth of writing. It's funny. Um, It moves right along. It's uh, it's it's got cute stuff in it, Um, but it doesn't I don't know. it, It just felt paint by numbers to me. Uh, stuff was, you know, the, the B plot with Boimler and Rutherford is clever, but it's very predictable. And, and, and the Donna plot is, it's fun, but it's, it's, it, again, it's just a lot of series of Orion pirate jokes where they essentially took everything we knew about the Orions and reminded us of it and exaggerated it for comic effect. So it was a fun episode, but I I wouldn't say it was my favorite. Yeah, I, I kind of fall in the same uh, range with bo- both of you, I think, because I, I, I enjoyed the fun, the humor, the, the thing, but um, uh, I found it a little predictable right from the moment I learned the title. As soon as mm-hmm, I heard mm-hmm. something borrowed something green, I said, oh, it's going to be wedding. a wedding on Orion yep. and, you know, Tend- and Tendi's not going to want to go. Mm-hmm. It, it, which is a, you know, how often have you seen the the whole uh, there's a wedding in my family and I don't want to go. And why wouldn't you want to go to a wedding back home with your family? I think the Orville did one of these. I think, mm-hmm. you know, next gen, like it's, it's just a common uh, thing. So I, I you know saw that. And, you know, the whole thing about like playing up the Orion Pirates thing, it reminds me a little bit of the Ferengi thing. Like Ferengi mm-hmm. are comically criminal capitalists you know and so we play that up to the nth degree and i think we're doing that with orions and it's interesting how much orions have become the big third party character race in all of the paramount plus star trek Mm -hmm. you know whether Mm -hmm. it's uh you know discovery or strange new worlds or you know here in in lower decks it's just big not so much in picard uh, and uh, and and prodigy, I think mainly because those take place later, like in the later in the timeline, like in this period of Star Trek Starfleet history, the Orions are big. So it's kind of interesting to see to see more of that. And I, I agree. I liked finally getting a resolution on the Mistress of the Winter Constellations thing. Mm-hmm. So that was kind of fun. And getting more about Tendi. We've now got Rutherford's background. We've got Tendi's background. We've got Boimler. And you know, so we got everybody's background finally. And it's kind of fun to see that as well. I, I I I agree with you that they're treating the Orions comically, like they treat the uh, treated the Ferengi on DS Nine. But I and it's fine. But I don't think it's as satisfying as what they did with the Ferengi for two mm-hmm. reasons. Um, one of them is we don't, other than Tendi, we don't really know any Orions. Mm-hmm. And whereas on DS9, we had we had Quark and Rom and Nog, and then mm-hmm. they introduced supporting characters like mm-hmm. Brunt and the Grand Nagus and Moogie. And we got to know and care about these characters. But the only Orion we care about is Tendi. So everyone else comes off as flat. Mm-hmm. Furthermore, in DS9, Quark was a rabid pirate capitalist. And Rom is kind of in the middle 
and it's and Nog is the one who and Mugi are the ones who resist the Ferengi way of doing things. Uh, um, Nog the most because he actually joined Starfleet. And here we have only Tendi and she resists her background upbringing. So mm -hmm. everything becomes a joke about her resisting the pirate stereotype even though she's mistress of the winter constellations. I don't know that we really got closure on that. They just mentioned it again. Um, but I, I think that Deep Space Nine was much more satisfying in its treatment of the Ferengi because they were around a lot. We knew a lot of them. We got to see their different attitudes and we got to care about them. And that allowed them over time to do really amazing Ferengi centric mm -hmm. episodes that were that, that I just love. Like they did a remake of the Magnificent Seven called the Magnificent Ferengi, mm -hmm. where you have the same basic plot. You've got you've got these seven Ferengi who gather a posse and then execute a mission together. And because we knew these characters and their relationships and their tensions between different characters and their alliances between different characters. It was so much more satisfying. Whereas in this episode, yeah, we get to see Orion for the first time, which is nice, but it's basically, here's our one uh, Orion resistant character, Tendi dropped into her home environment and we don't know anybody else. Mm -hmm. So I think this would be much more satisfying if we had much more Orion FaceTime with character with a variety of Orion characters the way we did with the Ferengi on DS9. Well, I wonder though if the critique isn't so much that it wasn't satisfying for those reasons, but the fact that it was done in season four instead of season one, you know, where they would by this time they could have developed Orions more at this point, you know, and, and because again, this is season four and we're only just now really getting this major backstory dump mm -hmm. of of Tendi. That occurs versus, to me too. Yeah. You know, versus like with the Frangi, they started developing the Frangi on DS9 season one. Yeah. I mean, it was right away we started getting that development. I think it might also be just the limitations of the format. We, we have mm -hmm. a, you know, an animated comedy and it's a broad comedy and this is just, you know, a farcical. Whereas DS9 has, is a drama that allows mm -hmm. comedy. And but with a drama, you can get much more depth out of out of this characters, whereas in Lower Decks, I mean, as funny as yeah. it is, it has to be a constant series of jokes to be to be mm -hmm. Lower Decks. It, it, it's a broad comedy that's only 20 minutes long in seasons that only have 10 episodes. Yep. Mm -hmm. So it it's under tight format restraints that don't yeah. allow it to explore in the same way DS9 could. I, I, so I think from for me, it's which, not so which much is just a, another way of yeah. saying just more proof DS9 is the best. <laughs> That's yeah. true. And it's not to, to say that I want the Wood X to be different. It's just, you know, if, if we're going to explore the uh, Orions, I would like to see maybe, you know, to see, you know, Strange mm -hmm. New Worlds or just even Discovery, although they did more of the with the Orions, but that's a whole other thing. Uh, but um, to, to, to grow that exploration a little bit, but, you know, we'll see. We'll, you know, it, 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 we'll, we'll, well, let's just say that's the that's the limitation of this. Yeah. You, you know what would or even though I have no plans on watching Discovery <laughs> season five in the foreseeable future, Discovery would earn points with me if they introduce an Orion character in season five, who is the new mistress or the 32nd century mistress of the winter constellations. <laughs> yeah. That that well, would be good. That would be good. Now, I thought the mistress of the winter constellations was the like 
pro- daughter prime of the clan. I thought they that didn't was equivalent. Say that. Oh. I mean, it it may be that that's the case, but I they haven't it. explicitly said Cause, that. They because okay. w- they introduced this new term, prime, mm-hmm. and there's each each syndicate family apparently has a prime daughter who is a trained assassin and they didn't say you are our mistress they said you are our prime in this episode so i wasn't 100 clear is mistress of the winter constellations the same thing as the prime daughter or is it something different well and we know it's a it's a generational title because uh, that's passed down from generation to generation because there was on that orion crew in the lower decks crossover episode with strange new worlds that was tendy's ancestor right yeah was that same title i you know the the cab's like i know that title i have you know that person on my ship right right i i did like when they're going through the uh the i don't know what it is dance club or whatever (laughs) um to um or bar or discotheque or whatever it is on orion and everyone is whispering and looking at at donna at devana um Mariner says it, have, to Talyn, have you noticed how everyone is freaking out about Devana? And um, and Talyn says, she does command unexpected gravitas for someone so excitable. She's <laughs> 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 like, yeah, really excitable people tend not to command a lot of gravitas. <laughs> well, I, I love the bouncer. It's, she goes up, you know, let me in. And he's like, no, oh, wait, 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 no, 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 don't kill me. Don't flay me. And, don't and he's me. like, yeah. oh, I would never flay it to, to Mariner and to Lynn. Oh, I would never flay. <laughs> you get the I sense like my, my grandchildren. Yeah. Yeah. My, my grandchildren will sing your praises, you know. <laughs> I like the addition of to Lynn as sort of the straight man observer, you know, mm-hmm. uh, just like dropping these dry lines that kind of, you know, express mm-hmm more than just the line you know i i i I enjoy that addition to this i i like that that uh talin agrees basically with with the human observations she she says it in a flat tone but she basically agrees you know Mm -hmm. whenever whenever mariner says wow that guy is hot you know talin will say he is aesthetically pleasing yeah (laughs) and and you know she she's not pretending real she she's got flat affect but she's not pretending to not have emotions mm-hmm. right i think they're they're lightening up the character mm-hmm. and i think that's a good thing yeah because right? it, it's it it can be a very fun character and has been but yeah. i think that could do more to make it bring out more of that character like you said you know yeah it's flat aspect but she's she's right there with the other lower deckers yeah i also she when she does disagree she's very terse and funny um, and they tend to use they tend to use little lines when she disagrees just as kind of throwaway jokes. Like in this one, after Devana and Erica have had their confrontation and reconciled, they realize they've got two hours to get to the wedding. And so and they're in this space junkyard of mm-hmm. ships that Orions have stolen. And um, and and Devana says, well, I may not be a pirate, but I have rewired my share of EPS conduits. Who wants to hotwire a stolen sp- shuttlecraft? And <laughs> and very briefly, Talyn says, I do not. <laughs> <laughs> so, by the way, that 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 uh, craft that they're on was a Raven class ship. Yep. Which is the same that the Hansen family, as in seven of nine, flew mm-hmm. into, you know, interacting with the Borg. Yes, that's the one they got. They got uh, Borgified. Borgified. Yep. 
So let's talk about the uh, the lower decks Orions that this episode started with, uh, because mm-hmm. we, we have this continuing arc of this you know mysterious spacecraft that has the ability and, to and, somehow interfere with the systems of every ship it, it comes in contact with, which is a sign it's AI. Mm-hmm. Um, there's going to mm-hmm. be an AI in that ship. Interesting. Also, in every every ship destruction sequence, we always start with the lower deckers. Yep. Yeah. on that ship and mm-hmm. then it gets kicked up to the bridge and then they all get destroyed. Right. My guess is the the solution eventually will be our, our lower, lower deckers. deckers. Yeah, our, yeah. Yep. and they're going to come up with some way that <laughs> definitively in their inimitable way interferes with the normal operating of things the way in, yeah. in a yep. very un starfleety thing. I um, suspect that the ship ha- has it may have more than one. It may have that AI that was voiced by um Jeffrey Coombs. Jeffrey Coombs, but yeah. it, but I, I suspect Peanut Hamper and Badgie. <laughs> oh, that'd be funny. Be involved. <laughs> three of them. It's it's, it's, it's going to be at least one of those three, and maybe all three of them. It would be awesome to have all three of them on some grand space adventure, wreaking yeah. havoc through the through the galaxy. I, I like how the the Orion lower deckers yeah. are. Um, you know, they're like dilithium delivery people. And they and one of them who really wants to be a pirate, he's currently a plunder sorter. (laughs) Mm -hmm. And and the others are like, come on, we're not pirates. We're pirate adjacent. (laughs) I love that. that (laughs) Pirate adjacent was great. That was good. Uh, What? uh, Star Trek fans were also Star Wars fans would be would recognize one of the uh, the uh, uh, Voice actors in that scene is uh, Vanessa Marshall, who played Hera yep. on Star Wars Rebels. So, yeah, uh, yesterday as I was before I prepared for this, I watched a couple episodes rep, episodes of Rebels, so I saw two two series where she's green. Yes, she yeah. plays a green she, character. She, she may get typecast. <laughs> yes. Yep. Well, uh, if you, actually, if you want to uh, hear an interview with Vanessa Marshall on our very own network, you could check out the Secrets of Star Wars. They had her yep. on uh, an episode of, uh, a bit ago where she uh, talked mm. about her acting, and they got to ask lots of good questions. And if you look at her IMDb, she is a very prolific voice actress. I mean, she's all over the place, DC Comics and yeah. many others. I mean, this is her fourth appearance in Lower Decks uh, or in yeah. yeah, Lower Decks alone. Yeah, Lower Decks. Yep. Uh, so, um, Ten- so it's Tendi's sister, Erica, which I think is a funny, you know, sort of uh, Orionization of a, of a common, uh, you know, English American mm-hmm. name uh, played by oh, what is the actress's name? A voice by Ariel Winter who folks would recognize if they watched Modern Family. She was one of the two daughters in Modern Family. Mm. Uh, so uh, a little bit of a celebrity casting there. And uh, so she's getting married. Tendu, as I mentioned, she doesn't want to go. But Talyn and Mariner are uh, all excited to go and see Orion culture. And Tendi keeps trying to figure out nice ways of make, not of disinviting them or keeping them from going. But she keep, yeah. they keep outmaneuvering her and she ends up having to let them go. So Mariner wants to go because it's a party. Yes. And because mm-hmm. no one has ever seen Orion before. And Talyn wants to go because no one has ever seen Orion. I mean, figuratively, no one has ever seen Orion before. And she wants to file a report on Orion culture with the Vulcan Science Council. Mm, right. And so we get a bunch of every time something something piratey happens, Tendi is like, please don't put that in your report. <laughs> or she'll contra- contradict it or something yep. like that. Yep. Um, ultimately... At the end of the episode, and they don't really set this up, but, you know, um, Talyn has been taking notes on a on an iPad the whole time. And as they're flying the shuttle 
Devana asks Talyn if she could tone down or omit some of the stabbings that have occurred in this episode, because there's been a bunch of stabbing, including Mariner. She gets stabbed in the in her like right shoulder three times. It becomes a running joke. Yeah. (laughs) And um, and as they're flying, Talyn says, funny, my report seems to have gotten damaged. And she just throws the iPad out of the shuttle. And um, and. Tindy asks her why, and Talyn says a report without a subject's consent would be unethical. And I was like, yes, they <laughs> pound that into our heads at the Rhine Institute. <laughs> Anonymity and, and privacy are key ethical concerns. They make us take classes in research and field ethics and <laughs> and identity protection for the experience of paranormal phenomena is super high on the list. Wait, Jimmy, did you say you're studying at the Orion Institute? Yeah. <laughs> you're looking a little green around the <laughs> I can neither confirm nor deny. Well, that would be the Rhine Institute for Parapsychological Research. Yeah. <laughs> so uh, the funny thing with Mariner, with the, the stabbings, at one point when they're in, finally in the shuttle, uh, she when uh, to Derek and pulls out a knife. Mariner's like, that's it. I'm hiding behind this console. She gets she steps behind a metal console and then sits on the floor <laughs> yeah. to be completely out of the way. <laughs> and and then nevertheless, Derek throws a throws a knife. It gets deflected, bounces like twice off a wall and hits her. We don't see it hit her. And you just hear from behind. Like, oh, come on. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, that was very good. I, I like that one. Uh, the first time she got stabbed was in the um, in the the club in the bar. Yeah. yeah, when they're going to meet this woman named Madame G to get a clue about mm-hmm. where Derica is, and she thought and, it was cool at first. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. They even have she said it was just part of the ambiance, and they like are passing along a jar with bloody knives in it, and she just <laughs> yeah. takes it out of her shoulder, puts it in the jar. <laughs> they they also in that sequence they play this murder bug game. Yeah, yes. where bug drinking game. Yeah, where you've got a they they you put your hand on a table and your opponent also does so and then they release an alien murder bug that will like bite you and kill you and you've got a whole bunch of shots and so with mm-hmm. one hand when the murder bug approaches you you've got to take a shot and that creates a protective force field around your hand. And then the murder bug so the murder bug can't bite you. But if you like cough and don't get all of the shot down, which Madam G does at one point, the force field does not appear and a metal clamp appears to hold your hand to the table so the murder yeah. bug can bite it. And it, and at that point, uh, Tindy rescues Madam G by mm-hmm. putting a glass over mm-hmm. the murder bug. Yep. Um, and But at the beginning of this, they have a great exchange where Madam G is is taunting Tindy and and says, has Starfleet softened you? And and Tindy says, yes, I love being soft. (laughs) (laughs) Which was great. Well, I I love the interaction after the game. Yes. Mm -hmm. You know, and of course, Tindy wins. And she's sitting, the man sitting there and, oh, you should call me next time you're, you're in town. Oh, Oh, absolutely. I will. She says, we should do brunch while you're in town. (laughs) Oh, sure. That would be great. And turns away. I'm never calling her. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> then, uh, running into old high school friends is so awkward. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Which is such a universal sentiment. It's just really funny to to, to hear that. Uh, so turns out that Tendy's family, which she hasn't told anybody, is the fifth fifth wealthiest 
uh, Orion Syndicate. Uh, you know, barely in the, Orion Syndicate. the fifth wire, fifth richest. Yeah, fifth richest. <laughs> barely. Super, yeah, but uh, which makes them super wealthy, and it's all the all the funny you know experiences of you know, being carried on a sedan chair and that sort of stuff. Um, and then uh, they they meet Tendi's parents. And uh, who tell her, you know, I we've we, Tendi's like, you brought me home just to, you know, really just to solve the kidnapping of my sister. And dad says, well, that and uh, we got a box of your stuff in the garage. We want you to take. Which yeah. is, <laughs> if you ask Gen Xers, that's a very common experience for them. to They go oh, home yeah, to visit yeah. and they, there's oh, yeah. a box of stuff. Mom and dad want you to get out of the attic or the garage. <laughs> I thought that was good. Uh, so that so they you have bridal nappings are apparently a thing. Oh, and they are in the real world, too. Mm-hmm. Um, there are very now it's a little different than what apparently is happening on Orion. Apparently on Orion, what happens is a, a marriage is arranged, a um, a save the date notice is sent out. But <laughs> and then before the actual invitation is sent out, it, it's common for another family to intervene, kidnap the bride. You negotiate, you pay them off, you get the bride back and then the marriage happens. Um but bridal kidnappings are a thing on Earth. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. There are cultures where um, that's the, how you get married. Yep. Um, the men will in this culture will kidnap a woman and marry her. And this even happens in the Bible. In the book of mm-hmm. Judges, there is an incident where the almost the entire tribe of Benjamin has been uh, wiped out. And there are some Benjaminite men who are still alive, but they're not married. And all of the men of the other tribes of Judah have sworn an oath that they won't give a a daughter and wife to a a Benjaminite. And so it's like, we're going to lose this tribe if we don't do something. How do we solve this? And the solution that they come up with is there's some festival that's going to be happening and the daughters of this location are going to come out dancing for the festival. And so every Benjaminite man, grab a bride, take her home and marry her. And that's what they do. And that's how they they, they save the tribe of Benjamin. Mm. And um, it doesn't say God blesses this. It just says this is what happened. Um, but seven there brides are, for seven Benjamins. Uh, yeah. <laughs> Benjamin was one of the brothers along with Adam and mm-hmm. uh, and 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 so forth. Um, but the, uh, there are cultures where this is normal, where you kidnap your wife, you kidnap a woman and you take her home and you marry her and it, and even her own relatives will encourage her to accept the situation after the fact. Mm -hmm. And so, and sometimes, you know, of course it's the kidnapping is kind of more for show, you know, it's like, <laughs> I like you, you like me, I'm going to kidnap you. Um, but in other cases, it's not. And kind of, but this really mm-hmm. happens kind of more eloping than it is an actual kidnapping. That, yeah. That's one of the stories you get you hear told around weddings a lot is the uh, uh, the fact that um, the group best man and groomsmen used to be the, the 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 groom's best man, best friends who would help him kidnap the bride. I don't know how true that mm-hmm. is in general in like Western culture, but you know, maybe, but uh, so there anyways, are some cultures. Yeah. yeah. Ten, Tendi think, thinks this oh, is, by the way, custom. bridal kidnapping bad. Don't do it. <laughs> yeah, don't, <laughs> we're in not fact, encouraging if, that. In fact, if you're a Catholic, this yep. is a Diramid impediment. Um, so 
uh, if you kidnap a woman and straight, it doesn't, it does, there's no law against a woman kidnapping a man and forcibly marrying him. But there is a law against a man kidnapping a woman and forcibly marrying her. If you do that and you're a Catholic and thus subject to canon law, the marriage is automatically invalid unless the woman is restored to a place of safety and consents. Yeah. <laughs> also, also, by the way, on that same kind of subject, no shotgun weddings either. No you shotgun. have to give full consent. <laughs> right. Both parties have to give full consent. Right. Uncoerced. Uncoerced. Yep. But Tandy thinks this is a real kidnapping, not a uh, not a, a the, the traditional custom customary kidnapping, and so she goes well, on. Well, was it the right? It wasn't the right time. It wasn't. Be, it wasn't between save the date and the announcement. Yeah, the, it was after the invitations went out. So this uh, is too late in the process. Yes. Yeah. So after the bar, uh, they end up going to this. Um, oh boy, pheromone dungeon. Let's just yeah. We'll, we'll cover we'll, this we'll briefly just, because we'll call it a pheromone dungeon rather yeah. than what they actually call it on the show. Yep. Yeah, yeah. Because um, yeah, it, it this is one of those instances where Lower Decks is 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 you know kind of straying into funny prurient interests. So we say it's it's not a, it's not the worst they've done. No, I mean that mm-hmm. would that would have to be the voyeuristic white horned ape scene. Yeah. Um, but uh, but it is in that direction. Yeah. But in any case, Tendi is a reputation for having men wrapped around her finger without the use of pheromones. She's able to, to mm-hmm. do this without uh, uh, without that. Um, and so they but they're looking for her sister's ex and uh, get him to to talk. Boyfriend. Yeah. yeah. Yep. And uh, I, I like she comes up with an anti pheromone drug. <laughs> <basically. Yeah>. Yes. <laughs> and it, I'll, I'll empty the whole bottle. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, she she disenchants. She uses her science to disenchant three. Uh, well, so they go and I forget the name of the woman Intenda or something like oh. that, who who runs the dungeon. And she's got these three goons that she 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 hides the um, the ex-boyfriend whose name is like Niall or something. Mm-hmm. And um, then she sicks three goons on Tindy and Tindy whips out a hypo spray and sprays this substance in their faces. And they're like, what another dungeon? And they wander off. So yep. they've been right. disenchanted. And Tindy says, this is something I whipped up to counteract the pheromones. It would be a shame if I had to release the whole bottle in here, right? And, which would disenchant everybody. And so the woman who's in charge of the dungeon says no don't do that um you can talk to Niall right it's sort of like a opium den where all the men mm-hmm. are mm-hmm. like drug addicts to in, but yeah. they're addicted to pheromone yeah. they call them motives and and that sort of thing um i i did i did you know like the fact that tendy used starfleet science to yeah. to get her way in this that was fun and that's very tendy so i like oh, that yeah. too they also had an allusion to an old to a fourth season star trek enterprise episode because um uh deanna at one point says to Talin, not all orions use pheromones to mind control to manipulate men right. and and Mariner butts in and says, yeah, Starfleet totally made up those pheromones to explain why three Orion slave girls could take down a captain, meaning Captain Archer. Right, mm-hmm. right. And and then they see a guy being hypnotized by the pheromones. So the pheromones were not made up by Starfleet. That's yeah. just a story <laughs> to save Captain Archer's reputation. Um, and 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 uh, and Tendi clarifies not all Orion women. Use. Right. That's what she originally said. She didn't say none do. She said right. not all do. And she apparently herself lacks the pheromone ability. 
right. which yeah. would which is a nice retcon because it explains why we have never seen any of the crew of the Cerritos having the hots right. for Tendi. Right. And that this whole like, you know, Orion, you know, pheromone thing goes right back to the absolute beginning of Star Trek to the cage. Yeah. yeah. That was in that very first episode. Not with pheromones, but with the sexy Orion slave girl. They also have a reference to that, talking about yeah. all the pictures that people are going to want to see. They're going to want to see us in our in our sexy slave, you know, costumes and <laughs> yeah. stuff. Right, dancing at the wedding. Although I wonder, did Pike in the cage was he affected by? Like I thought it he, implied he, he was infected. He he was. They didn't use the term pheromone. Oh, okay, but they yeah. one of Pike's fictional companions talks about losing your soul to an Orion slave woman and being this kind of pirate mm -hmm. king guy, I guess, in this fantasy. Yep. And um and it is it is a glorious thing to be a pirate king, it you is. know, as yeah. they say. <laughs> but um but they they never specified the mechanism, but they did suggest that that Orion slave girls had a preternatural effect on men. Okay. Right. So uh we do eventually they do eventually catch up to Tendi's sister, Devana's sister, uh, De Erica, and we get this revelation that Devana was supposed to be the you know this great assassin. And I love the fact that we have you know sweet Tendi, who is this super highly trained, best mm -hmm. Orion assassin ever, sort of thing. Not maybe not ever, but but that uh, that implication. To the point she literally rips off a chunk of the ship that's this rusting chunk of metal and uses it as a sword. <laughs> yes, yeah. right. I also like, so when um, when uh, Erica throws the dagger at Devana, she like kicks it out of the air and mm -hmm. it, that's what causes the ricochet. Yeah. And afterwards, um, Mariner and Talyn are talking to Devana about I'm so used to calling her Tendi. I have to think to get her first name out. <laughs> yeah. Are yeah. talking, but we got two, we got multiple Tendies in this episode. So yeah. they're all in the same family. Um, but they're talking to Devana about how it was totally obvious that she was like a trained assassin. And Mariner says, "Yeah, you 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 kind of gave it away when you kick flipped a knife out of the air." <laughs> and and Talyn says, "Your your background was rather obvious." <laughs> <laughs> so uh, it turns out Erica kidnapped herself or ran away uh, because she she resents Devana for leaving her. You know, Devana was supposed to be the heir to the, mm -hmm. you know, the, the 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 prime, but left to go join Starfleet and left to Erica to take over. And Erica has imposter syndrome. She doesn't feel like she'd ever measure up or be good enough. And that was that resentment. So uh, that, that's part of why I think that Mistress of the Winter Constellations is not the same thing as the Prime Daughter, because right. Devana is still the Mistress of the Winter Constellations, but De Erica is now oh, the yeah. Prime Daughter. Yeah. Well, I'm, I'm wondering if you've got you know families such as the Tendi family, but then you also have the like the Winter Constellation Clan. Because mm -hmm. I can't remember the exact line. It yeah. kind of went quickly, but talking something about you know like being the best of the best Mistress of the Winter Constellation or something like that. I can you know. So it's it's like that. Uh, this is a clan of families or a clan of of Orions that's different from the family structure. Right, that's possible. Uh, we we do end with uh, a series of uh, the, the showing pictures from the wedding to uh, to Boimler and Rutherford of uh, you know Marion got stabbed during the daddy daughter dagger dance, which <laughs> that was nice. Yeah, <laughs> so she actually got stabbed four times. Yeah. Also at the at the wedding. Um, 
since Orion women run their society, yep. um, even though they to outsiders, they let it look like the men do, but it's really the women, um, mm-hmm. which was established back in Star Trek Enterprise. Um, they they're leading this uh, Orion guy up to the uh, to the altar to be married. And Mariner says, ah, oh, he looks radiant, you know, which <laughs> yeah. is normally you say about a bride instead of yep. a groom. Right. Uh, and then uh, they also mentioned that the priest had an eight pack, uh, you know, instead of a six pack. Yeah. <laughs> and, and then we see Derek, a swinger husband across the threshold, uh, you know, on a, she's on a yeah. vine or rope. Or yep. And Boimler and Rutherford are slightly resentful. Um, saying, oh, why would we ever want to go to a pirate wedding on an awesome planet that no one ever gets to see? <laughs> yeah. Well, let's talk about the the, the B-plot just uh, to wrap things up. Uh, because, that was my segue. Yeah, <laughs> thank you very much. Uh, so we start out with, uh, I think it was uh, Mariner and Talyn and t- t- talking about how the Boimler rutherford roommate situation has got, there's, Talyn says, there's an uncomfortable amount of emotional clo- closeness <laughs> since moving in together. They've gotten, they, and they've even started calling themselves Brotherford, which is, yeah. please don't. <laughs> yeah. Uh, They're definitely being bros. Yes, finishing each other's sentences and stuff until. D- they have a bromance going on. Yes, they yeah. do. Yep. Until they begin fighting over who gets to care for their bonsai tree that is in their quarters. And each, each one wants to mist it uh, themselves. And, uh, and so they have this argument and they uh, end up, as you mentioned, Jimmy, they end up on the holodeck in a, you know, a Mark Twain story. Yeah. But they're both Mark Twain. River, steamboat. Riverboat. 18th cent- yeah. 19th yeah. century steamboat. With yeah. outrageous Southern accents, which <laughs> just, They're actually not that intense and they are clearly artificial. Um, I I, I did like one bit and I like how they had Captain Freeman attempt to Southern accent. There are two things I like. So one of them is as they're arguing with each other is Mark Twain. They're basically calling each other imposters and this is before they bond. Um, But they're starting to shout over each other. And they're both trying to be as 19th century cantankerous Missouri, because that's where <laughs> yep. Twain was from, as they can be. And and Boimler at one point is reduced to just shouting, grits, grits, grits. <laughs> <laughs> and then later when they have, uh, uh, well, so the then they 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 bond. Yep. And they come out of the holodeck and they go to the bridge and Captain um, Freeman is having a dispute with a Chalnoth captain. Now, the Chalnoth are this very violent race that we've seen once before. They were in that next generation episode where Captain Picard was kidnapped and put among with three other people in a prison. That's uh, right. One of them was a, a, from a race whose culture was based on cowardice. One of them was from a race whose who was whose whose um, culture was based on aggression. That was the Chalnuth. And they also they look kind of like Nausicans. They've got all this mm. hair and, and fangs and stuff, uh, tusks. And then the third one was um, a, a Starfleet cadet. So you have Captain Picard representing command, the cadet representing, um, you know, being commanded and then you have violence and cowardice in this mm-hmm. mix and some aliens were studying these interactions so that's where we've seen chalnos before and um 
This nebula is something called an oscillating nebula. It, it'll it phase shift if you wait too long. And so th they can't both scan it without interfering with each other's scans. And so the um, so Captain Freeman offers to share Starfleet's data. And the Chalnoth captain says, we don't trust Starfleet data. It's too nuanced and thorough. <laughs> 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 and and since um, Boimler and Rutherford have just noticed that by both being Mark Twain, they were able to work out their problem without any lingering resentment. And Captain Captain Freeman says, if only there was some way to resolve this dispute without any lingering resentment. <laughs> and, and so they suggest Mark Twain. And so you get Captain Freeman dressed up as Mark Twain and the Chalnoth captain dressed up as Mark Twain. They make Captain Freeman, they tr encourage them to start talking and negotiating and and they, but they insist, like Captain Freeman, you got to do the Southern accent, and 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 the Chalnoth captain is getting so frustrated, he just goes, Gah! and and Rutherford is like, no, no, you got to do, try doing that in a Southern accent, and the and the Chalnoth captain says. I am from South Chalnoth. That was a Southern accent. <laughs> <laughs> that was good. I like that. That, that was that was good. Yep. <laughs> And uh, and like you said, uh, they she ends up forbidding because it goes so wrong uh, and is only saved by the, by the fact that he eats the, their bonsai. Uh, eats their bonsai and drinks the mist, the water. Yeah, the, water. <laughs> the mist was great because, I mean, they, that sequence is nice because first they, you know, in explaining to Captain Freeman how they came up with this idea, they they mentioned their bonsai tree and and the Chalmouth captain is like, what is bonsai? And so they show him the bonsai tree. And for people who may not be aware, this is like a Japanese topiary art where you have this little miniature tree or set of trees. It's kind of like an open air terrarium that you can have on your desk or something like that. And they've got one in their quarters. So then they show the tree to the Chalnoth captain and he's looking at it and goes, it is beautiful. And then he just eats it and says, <laughs> I am thirsty. And he drinks the mist water. And it's like that triple of beautiful gobbles it down and then even drinks their mist water <laughs> is like the perfect triple of just reducing the bonsai tree to nothing it's now they don't even have it anymore and they've got a little 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 branch that's left yeah it's classic lower decks because the the standard star trek trope, trope would be the bonsai tree he sees it it's beautiful it changes his heart he becomes reasonable and everything is solved and we have the you know the the flutes of of happiness at the end of the yeah. episode but we subvert that of a meter tree and they're subverted and even drinks the water is the final humiliation <laughs> right right <laughs> yeah that, that's one of the things that just it it makes lower decks lower decks so fun uh, and so then they end up there <laughs> Freeman because they, I mean, the fact that Freeman listened to them in the first place and tried it out, that really should be on her. <laughs> yeah. But, well, yeah. and they, they don't even show that on camera because it would be too preposterous. They just cut and all of a sudden yeah. Freeman and the Chalmoth captain are in Mark Twain costumes. Makes it even funnier. It does. Yeah. <laughs> and we also don't see her forbidding them, but they report that in dialogue. Yes. So uh, and uh, and that's where we end things up. Uh, any final notes, Father Corey? Well, I got a kick out of in in the Boimler's in Rutherford's room. You've got the DS nine, the Quark's mm -hmm. DS nine poster. Uh, poster with DS nine, a model of DS nine, uh, and then that, that must that's Rutherford's side, and then Boimler's side is the, his Tom Paris plate, 
And then you see two little figurines and one of them looks like uh, Kirk in the TOS uniform. And then I was thinking Spock in a, a movie era uniform. Uh-huh. Because of course, you know, Boimler geeked out about Spock. Right. Right. In the crossover episode. So that that that's the one that made the most sense. So I got a kick out of that. Um, and then looking at uh another thing is looking at uh the memory alpha wiki, according to it, this is the nine hundredth episode released of any Star Trek. Oh hmm. wow. That is uh significant. because it, it wasn't that long ago yeah. I remember celebrating eight hundred. So yeah. Wow, that's wild. But yeah. when you release two, you know, Constance episode or series now, and sometimes <laughs> overlap them, you well, you're yeah, gonna rack up that number pretty quick. Uh, we won't reach a thousand anytime soon if they're going to be doing ten episode seasons. That's for sure. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> Jimmy, any final notes? Oh, I just a small one. You know, there's lots of Easter eggs in the background, and one that I took note of was on the Orion ship when they're sorting the plunder. Um, they've got a type two phaser from the original series and mm-hmm. one of the plunder sorters says trash bin and they throw it in the trash bin <laughs> and it would be like, okay, that's a piece of hundred year old technology. Yeah. It's more mm-hmm. more than a hundred years now. So, um, I guess you could consider it outdated. <laughs> be like a rotary phone. You know, someone yeah. found a rotary phone. It's like, ah, oh, that's trash. On the other hand, people do collect antique guns. So. Yep. Yep. It'd be an antique. Uh, all right. So that is our discussion of uh, something borrowed, something green. I mentioned that we have some feedback. So let's get to that. Our first feedback is Don't feed uh, us back. Uh, yes. No. And uh, no feedback. Uh, the the uh, first feedback comes from our episode where we discuss Star Trek first contact. And it comes from Steve Clamp uh, via our Suits of Doctor Who Facebook page. <laughs> That's where Steve first encountered us. And he says, uh, hi, guys. Sorry, this is a Star Trek comment uh, instead of a Doctor Who one. And that's not okay. even a current one, but that that's fine. We love to get it however we can. Uh, just wanted to let you know, I loved your reflections on First Contact. As I've said before, I'm a very casual Trek viewer, but when I saw this film at the cinema, I loved it. Agree with everything you said in your review. As a side note, having seen all the Trek films several times now, I firmly believe it has the best space effects of any Trek movie, the last Trek movie to use models before switching to CGI. The Enterprise looks stunning. The old adage, even number of Trek films are best, is certainly true. And I'll be controversial here. I quite like Nemesis, too. It's not anything like as good as First Contact, but still better than most of the odd-numbered films. Anyway, hope you're all keeping well. Best wishes from me here in the UK. I um, I agree. The even-numbered Star Trek films are, are the better ones, um, although mm-hmm. the J.J. Abrams movies may have broken that. <laughs> Um, but they broke a lot. Yeah. In a classic run, that's definitely true. And uh, I remember liking Nemesis when it first came out. It was the last of the classic era films. Mm -hmm. And I remember liking it when it first came out. They did some interesting things in it. This is the one where Data dies for people who may not remember. However, I've subsequently seen some commentaries on it that point out some flaws. So I'm looking forward to when we review that one to see where I end up landing on it after, you know, when I'm in more of this kind of analysis mode with some having 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 encountered some what seemed to me to be legitimate criticisms of it. I'll be interested to see how much do I still like it. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. And I, and I agree with the uh, with his comment about the the the, the special effects, the, the animation and mm-hmm. the space scenes um, in Lower Decks or not Lower Decks, excuse me, First Contact, you know, because it was, like you said, the last of the model special effects and everything and it do, that does make a difference especially then you know we're we're talking what 20 years ago 
something like that, you oh, know? And so, yeah. <laughs> you know, and, and so CGI, you know, big screen CGI like that was still relatively new comparative mm-hmm. um, to like, you look at strange new worlds. Now, I, I think the, the, the space scenes in strange new worlds are absolutely beautiful. They do a wonderful job on that now, but this again is after 25 years of development or something like that. So I, I agree with him. You know, I, I do think the, the, the space scenes in insurrection and nemesis don't stand up as well um, as they, I mean, they still looked wonderful at the time because it was new and big and wow and fancy, but um, compared to what they've, they can do now again with strange new worlds and the other television series that use that, that type of uh, computer graphics is pretty incredible. And eventually even for people who, you know, I know there's still a lot of sentiment of, practical models are better than CGI, but they will eventually get to the point that it's indistinguishable. Yeah. This, this right now, there's still something about the, the miniatures that is, it's indefinably slightly different. In fact, if anyone's watching the star, star Wars, Ahsoka series, mm-hmm. they've actually used actual miniatures. Is anyone for, actually watching the Starfleet Ahsoka series? Uh, the Star Wars Ahsoka series? Quite a few of us. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> At least two of us. I, I know a lot okay. more. But if uh, any of the Star Trek fans are watching the Star Wars series, which I think there's a lot of overlap, uh, there's uh, th- they use the actual miniatures for the uh, the Jedi starship that Ahsoka flies. So the, mm-hmm. when you see that on screen, that's that's a miniature. They, and they've, they've done quite a bit over the years with, with the, the Star Wars series of still doing miniatures. And- yeah. I, I, I won't get into the hate mongers about the comment about is anybody watching Ahsoka? I think a lot more people are watching. Than <laughs> I, I was just kidding. I, yeah. I, I don't hate it at all. I, yeah. I'm just I haven't caught up with TV Star Wars. Yep. Trek, yeah. Trekkies and Star Wars fans love to we love to rib each other. And even when yep. we love both. Uh, so uh, that was uh, Steve's comment. And then we have uh, feedback on our last episode, Cradle of Vexalon from Donna Marchese, who wrote on YouTube. Supposedly, that comment by the koala is mm-hmm. backwards. It in yeah. run forwards. It says it's not your time yet, Bradward Boimler. And I figured it would be something like that. I could tell it was backward speech, but I didn't do the work necessary. I didn't take a sound <laughs> recording and then reverse it. Yeah. Um. But I figured it was that. What they could have done that would be interesting would be, and I it, they wouldn't have to. But another thing they could have done is use a technique that they used in Twin Peaks. Because in Twin Peaks, they the characters would occasionally go to a location called the Red Room, uh, which was part of the Black Lodge. And it was this m- mystical environment. It's very strange. Um, it's got red curtains and a kind of zigzag black and white floor. And the and the people who appear in the red room not our main characters but the people who appear and talk to them are technically speaking backwards so what they like there's the there's a little short man there's a big giant there's Laura Palmer and when they speak to our main characters what they had the actors do is learn the dialogue phonetically backwards mm-hmm. and so they and, and so they they they're actually saying their dialogue backwards right. but then they reverse the film so it plays forwards and it it sounds totally weird because of the differences in how you pronounce things going backwards compared compared to pronouncing them forwards so like the the little man um you know one of his lines that he says a few times is let's rock 
but um, it it when he says it backwards, it's like that's rock, and yeah. you can understand him, but it sounds so weird. And that's something else they could have done in this scene with the koala. It <laughs> kind of reminds me of of. Uh, the band Judas Priest back in back in the eighties, where you know that there's the whole thing of oh, there's satanic messages when you play the records backward, you know that 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 whole scare. And so they purposely recorded a song that basically told off all their critics in <laughs> right. very explicit words of what their critics could do to themselves. Right. But it but you had to play it backwards to hear the message. Right in in um, <laughs> Weird Al Yankovic's song "Nature Trail to Hell." which is a really funny song. Mm-hmm. Um, he's got a backwards Whiz. message that says Satan eats cheese whiz. <laughs> <laughs> is that a slam on Satan or cheese whiz? I don't, I don't know. <laughs> Could be both. No lies found. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, thank you uh, both for your feedback. We really do appreciate it. And we'd also like to right now take a moment to thank our patrons who make it possible for us to create the secrets of Star Trek, including Catherine K, Catherine O, Father Brian Z, Peter M, and Dalton H. Their generous donations at sqpn.com slash give make it possible for us to continue the secrets of Star Trek and all the shows at StarQuest, and you can join them by visiting sqpn.com slash give. This StarQuest show is brought to you in part by Sam Castry Law, LLC, focusing on business and entertainment law in the greater Chicagoland area, and intellectual property law across the U.S. Learn more by visiting castrelaw.com, C-A-S-T-R-E-E-Law.com. Licensed to practice in Illinois and before the United States Trademark Office. So that's it from us this time. We'd love to know what you think of this episode, Something Borrowed, Something Green. You can let us know by commenting on the show at sqpn.com slash trek, our Facebook page at facebook.com slash Media. Or send an email to trek at sqpn.com or visit our Discord community at sqpn.com slash Discord. And you can also watch The Secrets of Star Trek on our YouTube channel at youtube.com slash Media. We'll be back next time when we'll be discussing the next new episode of Lower Decks. And until then, Father Corey Stika, thank you for joining me and sharing The Secrets of Star Trek. Thank you, Don. Jimmy Aitken, thank you as well. Dude, we just recorded a 54-minute episode about a 22-minute episode. It's that good. Live long and prosper. (laughs) (laughs) And once again, I'm Dom Bettinelli. Thank you for listening to The Secrets of Star Trek on StarQuest. And remember, as my grandmother used to say, a cool duvet keeps the raisin rats away. (laughs) 